I had a, a pastor friend of mine. You know, what's funny is traditionally part of the way people would communicate with pastors is they stick a note in the offering basket. Then the ushers would save that note and put it on the pastor's desk. And so uh, he told me one time he showed up and he had two big band-aids on his face because while he was shaving that morning, uh, he was thinking about his sermon and he cut up his face, you know, uh, obviously really badly for two or three band-aids to cover it. And so he, he got up and he kind of told the church a story, you know, hey, you know, just don't worry, you know, I didn't get bit, it's just, you know. And so he gets a little note in the offering, it says, next time, why don't you think about your face and cut the sermon? <laughs> I was like, whoa! <laughs> and I, 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 I joyfully said, my church would never write a note about that to me. <laughs> You, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right. You know, I I had a birthday last last Monday. Thank you, thank you. I had a birthday, and as I've gotten now, I'm 42. Now I'm old. I I consider myself old now. And uh, and uh, and you know what's interesting about getting old, especially staying in the same you know job. I mean, I've been a full-time pastor now since 1999. And uh, one of the blessings of that is that I've logged a lot of counseling hours with people. Uh, A lot, it it seems like. This week, uh, you you can ask Carmen, this week I had like 12 appointments. Not all of them necessarily counseling, but 12 meetings inside of still doing all the other things I do at the church. And one of the interesting things I've noticed is when two people come in for counseling, and typically it's a husband and wife, but sometimes it could just be friends or whatever, you know, it's amazing how as adult and mature we all are, isn't it funny how quickly we can become very childish? How quickly we can just, it's almost like we go back to third grade, you know? We can just really become like babies fighting over a blanket. You know, just the other day, me and my wife, you know, we were in a, not, not a big fight, I guess. Well, okay, I'll call it a fight. But it was a, it was a heated argument. Is that a fight? Yeah. All right, it was a fight. And, and while we were there, I was on the couch and my wife was standing. And while we were there, the dog next to me sneezed on me. Now, if you know anything about me, I don't like anybody, anything, animal, fish, whatever. I don't want them to sneeze on me, you know? I don't think fishes sneeze, but go with me on this. And so right in the middle of this fight, the dog sneezes on me, and I get so mad, and the dog could see I got mad. I start chasing the dog around the house, yelling at the dog, yelling at my wife, and all of a sudden, what my wife do? She's laughing at me. She thinks it's funny, and I'm getting angry. She's like, man, you look like a little seven-year-old trying to chase that dog. What are you going to do when you catch the dog, you know? And and just going on and on and on. And finally, we just kind of sat down. We had a good laugh over it, you know? It's great to end a fight in laughter. I will tell you that right now, you know? So, uh, but you know, it's, it's amazing how we can regress. The Bible does, however, call us to a more honorable fight. And you cannot escape our next history maker who goes by the name of Joshua and not think one of the greatest contributions he makes Uh, to the story of God's redemption is that redemption was something he literally fought for. And so this morning, uh, we're going to learn about how to fight 
right, how to fight God's way, and how to approach a fight, because there may be times when that's absolutely the right and necessary thing to do. And of course, it's not a fight against people, but it may involve people. It's ultimately a fight against evil and darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to open up our minds right now to just receive your word, to receive what you would talk to us, and that, Lord, maybe just one of these points is going to be a point we've got to remember so that we can live your way and walk in your blessing and see the positive outcome of our actions rather than the consequences. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing Joshua shows us is that if you're going to fight, make sure you are praying over the battle from start to finish. If you're going to fight, make sure you are praying over the battle from start to finish. I know that's hard. I know a lot of times in a fight, that's the last thing you think of. It's the last thing you want to do. Sometimes we just got to choose to do it. Choose to make that choice. You know, I'm going to pray over this even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to pray over this. The first time we meet Joshua, the first time, or actually the first time we see Joshua in a fight is in Exodus chapter 17. This is when uh, the Amalekites, which were one of the people that God was going to use Israel to drive out, they made a preemptive strike. They knew they were there and they thought, man, we better attack the Israelites before they attack us. So they make a preemptive strike and Moses commands Joshua, take some young men, take these swords and fight him. And so Joshua begins to fight against the Amalekites. And here's the interesting thing. As long as Moses was in the posture of prayer and praise, with his hands up, I mean, this is how, you know, they would address the Lord in that sort of humble posture. You are, they'd lift their hands, you are higher, we are lower, you are higher. So Moses is lifting up his hands, and as long as Moses lifted up his hands, the Israelites were winning. The moment that Moses took his hands down, because how many of you, in the middle of worship, you got your hands up and they start to get tired, so what do you do? You put them back in your pocket, you know? Wait till the lactic acid kind of leaves. You put them back up again. That's what Moses was doing. That's exactly what Moses was doing. Except every time he put his hands down, the Israelites began to lose. We're tempted to think that Joshua is some great military commander. What the Bible shows us is this. Joshua won every victory because it was God who gave him victory in the fight. And that's the way you want to win a fight. You want to win a fight by God giving the victory. Because if God's not giving the victory, then it is going to be a very short-lived victory, right? God gave Joshua the victory. God gave him the battle, and Moses kept reaching up for it. The moment we get in conflict is the moment we began to pray. One time, uh, somebody had come to me and said, you know, Tom, I'm having a big problem with my coworker. And it was just, you know, I was hearing the story, you know, and, and, uh, and I just, you know, I'm having a big problem with my coworker. She's a bully, she's mean, and I just avoid her. I don't want to show any Christian love to her because I'm afraid if I try, it'll turn back into the flesh and I'll pop her one. I'm like, okay, maybe I ought to avoid her then. <laughs> but I said, I said, you know what? I said, let's take hands, let's, let's pray and let's pray that the Lord changes your heart. You know, let's, let's, I think you need a heart for this person. And she's like, I don't need a heart for this person. I just need this person to leave. And I said, well, you know, that might not be God's plan 
to, you know, fire her or to, you know, it may be that God's working on your heart in order to be able to, you know, be with people like that because those people are, are all over the world, right? They're everywhere. Bullies, meanies, grouchies. So we get on our knees and we pray, and I pray this prayer, you know, Lord, I pray you change your heart. And she kind of repeats after me. And she, at the very end, she goes, but Lord, if it be your will, I pray you just get her out of that office. In Jesus' name, amen. She said, she closed the prayer real quickly so that I couldn't add anything, you know. I'm like, okay, fine, you know. The next week, she comes up to me, and she says, Pastor Tom. I go, what? She goes, God heard my prayer and not yours. <laughs> what? Yes. She got in a fight with the boss this week, and the boss fired her. And now our office is rid of this horrible dragon that lived there, you know? I kept thinking to myself, God, she really took this the wrong way. <laughs> You're going to have to fix this here, you know? But, but at the same time, I walked away with something because I had said, until you come back to church, I want you to pray over this every day. Text me, call me, do whatever you can to do. Say, I'm praying over this issue right now. So don't just don't just come. It was after a church service on Sunday. So don't just come in. We do a quick five minute thing on Sunday, and think as this is, you know think we're rolling the dice here. I want you to commit to praying over this. And as she committed to praying over this, God did answer her prayer, and answered it in a way I didn't even think He was going to answer. She did it within literally within a week. God just removed the enemy and gave her victory in that situation. Principle number one: When you get in a fight, when you're getting in a battle and you're being attacked, it is time to pray, not time to, you know, start flapping at the mouth and, you know, fight back. It's time to pray, you know. When I start getting attacked from an enemy, I say, you know what, give me some space for a little bit. And it's not because I'm so angry that I'm going to hit you. A lot of people think that, you know, when I'll be like, when I'll back up, say, you need to give me some space, you know. Oh, Tom's going to get in his conniption fit. He's getting really angry. Oh, man, he's going to punch somebody. Uh-uh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm getting you out of my face because as long as you're in my face, it distracts me from praying. So I need to step back and just pray. I need to get away from it for a little bit and just pray. And then after I've prayed over it, it's amazing how I pr- approach it now in a posture where God can give me the victory and I can begin to see his blessings in the battle. Amen? Point number two. If you're going to fight, this goes without saying, make sure God is on your side. <laughs> I, know, I know that sounds kind of stupid, but I can't tell you how many people will come into my office and they'll say they're just fighting. I'll say, you know what? I just don't know if God is on your side in this. You, know? you almost sound like the person who's not walking according to biblical principle or biblical love. And if you look at Jericho uh, in, in Joshua chapter 7, one of the first major battles that Joshua is, is going to have in his campaign is against Jericho. And of course, you know the song, you know, they go around the wall seven times and the walls fall and Joshua wins a huge, stunning, decisive victory over the men, men in, over the armies of Jericho. In fact, they, they, a very decisive victory. Remember, this wall is not, you know, 60 feet high and 30 feet thick, you know, and they just come falling down and the armies come in and completely have victory in this. So Joshua is on a high. So Joshua looks at the next town in line, which is a little to the east. The next town was supposed to be Bethel, which is a little to the west. But Joshua 
remembers that one of the great uh, cultural centers is to the east in a town called Ai. And so Joshua sends his armies over to Ai. Now, here's the interesting thing. There is no explicit command by God to go and attack Ai. Second thing is, God said, don't steal any of the treasures once you have victory over Jericho. One guy did. So Joshua is going into a battle that God is not with him in. And it says that the 2,300 men or whatever it was, I can't remember the exact number, the small army of Ai whooped them right after they had just taken out big, powerful Jericho. What's the point in all this? If God is not on your side, don't go into the battle. Jericho was the Lord's battle. Ai was not. Now, of course, God redeemed the situation, and eventually the lesson was learned, and eventually they did take Ai, but not until Joshua got a really big humbling. Hey, even though I'm calling you to fight, I'm calling you to fight my fights, not your fights. Jericho was my battle. Ai was yours. Uh, Joshua, you're great, but there'll always be somebody greater. So fight my battles and you'll see the victory. I, I can't remember who it was, and if somebody can, please tell me. But I remember when I was in university, we had to study the, the Civil War, the American Civil War in the Reconstruction era. There was one of the legislators, you know, as, as, as General Robert Lee and the president of the Confederate States and all these Confederate people, they had gathered to talk about how, you know, how they're going to win the war and how they're going to establish a life after their victory. And, and one of these Southern statements said this. I wish I could remember his name, but he said, he said, they said, what's bothering you? And he just said this very famous sentence. He said, God is not with us in this fight. And of course, they ignored him. This is at the very beginning. They ignored him. They, you know, but he just said, I don't think we should do this because God is not with us in this fight. And so I think a good question to ask this morning, look at some of your fights. Is God with you in it? Maybe some of the reason that your fights have gone as long as they've gone is because God is not with you in the fight. As right as we think we are or as hurt as we may have been, you have to separate yourself from the emotions of the moment and ask yourself honestly, is God in my fight? Is God in this fight? And the worst part to remember is this. God loves the person you're fighting against just as much as he loves you. The blood of Jesus applies to the person you're fighting against just as much as it applies to you. And so it's always a good thing to ask yourself, are my motives for God's glory or for my own? Is God in this fight? And the third thing Joshua says, teaches us, we're going to actually go back now to the book of Numbers for a second. Third, if you're going to fight, make the enemy your enemy. After Joshua defeats the Amalekites because Moses had his hands raised up, they essentially have an opportunity to go into the promised land. Uh, they're ready. God thinks they're ready. And so they're now poised to have a great military conquest. But God says to Moses, send some people 
so that they can, they can see with their own eyes and bring back a good report that the land is good, it's exactly what I promised you, and that they are to go forth in it. So Moses sends out 12 spies. One of them is Joshua. When they come back, 10 of the 12 spies report only the negative. The cities are big. The walls are big. The people are, the people are very big. They're giants. Remember the Nephilim? You know, the ones that God was supposed to flood out, but somewhere or another they survived it? Well, they're still there. And we looked like grasshoppers in there. They're so tall. They got an arm. They could just go like this and wipe out our whole front lines and just walk through. They'd just kill us all. It is suicide to try to take what God has for us. All 10 of them were saying the same thing except two of them. And one of them was Joshua. And you know what? I think it doesn't say in the scripture, but you know what I think Joshua was saying? Huh, let's see here. Moses has a staff that when he throws it on the ground, turns into a snake. When he picks it back up, turns back into a staff. Um, there were 10 miraculous plagues that we saw with our own eyes that God did. Uh, then there's the Passover where, you know, God literally went to war for us and freed us from the Egyptians. Oh, and that whole thing about the Red Sea, you think the walls of Jericho are big? Man, remember the walls of water that we walked through? And oh, there was all this manna that's on the ground every morning for us to eat, and there's this water coming from the rocks, and now the quail are starting to fall, and we have protein, and you know, God has done this, and 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 you're worried about a few little walls and some giants? Here's what happens. The more we fight in our own strength, the bigger people and the things of life can become. The more we fight God's fights and in God's strength, the bigger God becomes and the more we see his victory. The enemy's slogan will always be this. People are big and God is small. Believe you me, when you're in a fight and you're in a conflict, that's what the devil is pumping into your brain all day long. People are big. God is small. God is too small to help you in this. God doesn't work that way. God's power isn't for that. God, God is small. You can't really rely on this small God and look at how big and imposing those people are. Oh my goodness. You're going to have to really train up for this fight. You're going to have to have a movie going on in your mind of what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, what attitude you're going to say it, how you're going to swing your finger, how you're going to, because people are big and God is small. Man, we can get there like that. We can become those two babies like that. And that's exactly what happened when the spies came back. They had forgotten all of the great and incredible things God had done in their life. And all of a sudden, these little fleas in front of them. You know why I call them that? Because when the Israelite armies came into Canaan, they really only had to fight three or four major engagements. The rest of the people just ran and surrendered. God just cleared them out. And the three or four major engagements they had to fight, the battle was won before the first soldier ever stepped foot on the battlefield. When the walls of Jericho fell, do you think that army really fought back? No, they ran. After Joshua got his head straight about Ai, he defeated them in a day. On and on and on this went. 
because Joshua had not lost sight of how big God was, what he can do. And if we began to fight the fights where God is on our side, you see the victory that God brings. Amen? And then the third thing, if you're going to fight, make sure you have all the facts. If you're going to fight, make sure you have all the facts. In Joshua chapter 22, a very interesting thing happens. They have won, right? Joshua, beginning in Exodus 17 with the Amalekites, Numbers 13 as a spy, and then beginning in Joshua 6 and 7 with the Battle of Jericho, all the way through many of the chapters of Joshua, really up to chapter 15, Joshua is winning battle after battle after battle after battle, and he's winning, and now he has conquered. He has exactly done what God has promised. He has brought the Israelites, former slaves, now free people into the promised land. But here's one problem. The land, the people were so big, and the land was so small, they had a river running through it. And the river was called the Jordan River, very famous river. Well, here's the thing. God gave some of the land to two tribes on the eastern side of the river, but 10 tribes on the western side of the river. Now, rivers in our day, they're nothing. We build bridges, we drive over them. In our case, we walk over them. So, you know, well, not now. Now we have to drive over them again (laughs) because it's full. But you know what I'm saying? In the ancient days, rivers were huge, right? Uh, you, you couldn't just cross the Jordan River. You couldn't just take your horses in your. It was a big thing. They had to, you know, they had ways they would ford over the river, a lot like bridges. But you know, they were, they were, they were, it was not easy, so they wouldn't regularly cross over and see each other. So the two tribes to the east, they had built an altar, and the altar was a memorial to say, "We are with you." In the years to come, you may forget about us and say, "You have no part." in what Joshua did, because you're on the eastern side of the river, and we're all on the west. So they built an altar to memorialize that and say, we are of you. Well, the western tribes, they thought that they were building an altar to another god. So they arrange all of these people, and they are about to go to war and slaughter to every last man, woman, and child these other two tribes in Joshua chapter 22. Almost a horrific ending to an otherwise good book. Thankfully, one of the leaders of the eastern tribes runs out and says, wait, wait, what are you doing? What are you doing? You built an altar, and that altar is not for the Lord. We're going to smite you off the earth. No, that's not why we built this. We built this as a memorial stone so that in the years to come, you guys wouldn't forget us and do exactly what you're doing right now. Oh, oh, really? Yes. Why didn't you send an emissary rather than gather all of these armies? Do you know what kind of message that is sending us right now? This is exactly why we built the altar. Yeah, we probably could have done that. Probably could have uh, sent an emissary. Probably could have, you know, uh, in hindsight, (laughs) you know, they probably looked very foolish having thousands of armed men ready to slay their brothers when they didn't have all the facts. About, oh, many years ago when I was first in ministry, I had transitioned into another church. 
One of the hardest things about transitioning into another church as a leader is you don't know what promises were made to people before you got there. And when you get there, they expect you to honor those promises that were made. We had transitioned into another church, and I was not made aware of any of the promises. And so I had uh, asked the church, you know, for some people to sign up to be youth leaders. And we had, it was, it was, a, much, it was a very large church, and we had about 30 people sign up. And, uh, and as we were going through this, I said, okay, we will, we will call you and let you know about our first meeting. Well, this person who had been promised stuff had automatically assumed that I was informed as to what she was promised, who she was, and that she should be at these meetings. Well, she never signed up on Sunday, assuming she was already uh, you know, part of the youth leadership. Well, I was given a list, but her name was never on it. So I have you know, people call and everything, and, and uh, we have our youth leader meetings, and, and the first year goes fine until all of a sudden somebody says, you know, hey, this person is viciously attacking you. And this, this was the daughter of one of the prominent families of the church, and, and it was just attacking me. And now the, now the father was attacking me, and the family was attacking me. The kids aren't coming to youth group anymore. They're kids, you know. And, and there's this whole thing, and I am, exa- I am absolutely clueless as what's going on. Well, finally it gets up to the senior pastor, and he's like, what, what in the world did you do? I said, I don't know what I did. I, I don't even know this girl. I, I have no, I've never really even talked to her. Well, they want to talk to you, so the family comes in and, the, you know, and, and everything, and, and right in the middle of the meeting, meeting you know, I just said, I, I said, I said, you know, why are you so angry at me? Well, because I was supposed, I was promised this and, and it never, you know, I, and you never even bothered to pick up the phone and, and meet with me. And I looked there and I said, I said, sweetheart, I was never even informed that you were given this or that you were even a part of the youth ministry. And at that moment, her father looks at her. It was a sweet moment for me. Her father looks at her and he says, didn't you call him? She goes, well, no. Did you do anything? Well, no. And he just kind of sat up. He looked at the pastor. He said, sorry for taking your time. He shook my hand. He said, I'm really sorry about everything that happened. He says, get in the car. (laughs) This is like a 26-year-old daughter, you know, get in the car, you know. Just a humiliating, embarrassing moment for her. If you're going to fight God's fight, make sure you have all the facts. And I bet you point number four is the point that might have to stick with many of us the most. Because a lot of times, I can't tell you how many times, I go to settle a conflict and it's over a misunderstanding. A breakdown in communication where one person thought something that wasn't even true. And you know what the, mo- you know what the one the most is? I just know all the people at the church, they're saying this about me. And I hate to be the one to break it to him. I'm like, nobody at church is even talking about you. You're not that important. You know, I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I, I hate to be the one to say, no, they're not all talking about you. They're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about going to Dickies after church. Trust me, you know, <laughs> we are far more carnal when it comes to that stuff than you think. One of the greatest things I love about Joshua, though, is he gives me hope because 
Joshua's faith wasn't perfect. He didn't fight perfectly. You know, before he stood before Jericho, Joshua was very nervous. Joshua began, he, I think Joshua always struggled with courage because so many times God had to tell Joshua, be of good courage. When God has to remind you of something over and over and over, that's usually an indication that that's probably an area of struggle for you. And Joshua had to, God had to remind Joshua of this so much that in the first major engagement at Jericho, it's, obviously, it's obvious that Joshua was a little out of his league. So who shows up in Joshua chapter 5? The angel of the Lord. God says, you know, Joshua, I know right now your faith isn't perfect in all this. I know this whole marching around the walls and seeing them fall, that's a tall order for you, isn't it? You've probably never seen that happen. You probably never imagined that happen. You're probably wondering if somebody slipped something in your drink and that's why you think this. I get it, Joshua. The road to faith is not perfect. So what does God do? He literally sends an angel to stand with Joshua. Now, as soon as Joshua sees him, he gets down on his knees. He's, he's all frightened. And he says, who are you? And he says, I am the commander of the armies of the Lord. And we have come to fight with you. You won't see us, but trust me, we're here. And I can tell you this right now, in our conflicts with the enemy, in our conflicts with the enemy, there is no greater feeling than to know that the armies of the Lord are behind you. Oh, he may not come and stand in front of you like he did Joshua, but I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, a very powerful verse, verse that says, oh, I forgot to put it in there, but I somewhat memorized it. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this dark world. Our fight is not against people. It's against the enemy. Make the enemy your enemy, not people. Make the enemy your enemy. And Joshua closes his, his time in the Bible really with this statement. After all the battles have been won, and all the people got their land. Joshua makes one last address to the people before they go off into the various tribal leadership that they would have. And he says this, if it is evil, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, okay, but choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river those are the moon gods, or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell. Those are the fertility gods, if you get my drift. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's ultimately a choice. The Lord is a choice we make. Fighting the Lord's way is a choice we make. So remember, pray over it from start to finish. Make sure God is on your side in it. Ask yourself, is God in this fight with me? Make the enemy your enemy. People are not your problem. It's the enemy. And finally, make sure you got all the facts. Do this, and you'll fight like Joshua. You'll conquer your promised land, hopefully with very few hiccups, because that's what he had. Amen?
Amen.